And we're back for another part train. It is Evan Singer and Matt Cermak here, um, nope. your host. Stratton couldn't make it. Um, in case you guys are new to the part train, the part train will teach you how to make life less frustrating than your golf game. Okay, we feature interviews from PJ Tour Pros, now Long Drive Champs, with Maurice Allen here in a second, best selling authors, CEOs, and more. You'll learn to laugh through every up and down, harness the power of the mind, and get back on track both on and off the course. And so, guys, this episode was super, one of our most incredible interviews. It was raw, it was riveting, it was real. And it's about some important things that are going on. We're not going to talk much about it because the interview is that good and we want to get right to it, but let's give a little bit about Maurice Allen. So, Maurice Allen was a 2018 Volvic Long Drive World Champion, 2015-2016 European Long Drive Tour Champion, motivational speaker, spokesman, and the guy just speaks from his heart. And um, yeah, absolutely, this was a great interview. So it was a it was a great interview, and uh, we just a quick shout out to a partner, the, a key partner of the part train, Roback, um, Roback.com. We're doing a partner promo code, Love Train. Love Train, because we're on the Love Train. It's all about love. All right, let's get right to it. And we're back with not only the long drive champ, but the man, Maurice Allen. Maurice, thanks for joining us. We're excited to have a a good discussion today. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm good, man. Thank you guys for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. For sure. Um, So we said this before we came on, but I just wanted to lead with, you know, the fact that we think it's important to do our part to amplify your story and everything that's going on right now. And Matt and I have been educating ourselves personally. I've been reading things I've never read before. I've been watching things I've never watched before. And I think this isn't a discussion we normally have on the show, but I think that's why it's important. And if there's people that feel uncomfortable that are listening to this, then that's probably the perfect thing to listen to, right? So that we can challenge ourselves. So um, I'm going to start out by reading an excerpt from your latest article in, in Golf Digest, okay. um, being black in a white sport. And I just want to start with this. It says, I'm a golfer, just like you, and I've been the person on the side of the road pulled over with a gun to my head for something I didn't do. I'm guessing that is what makes us different, but you don't want to hear about that, right? We're here to talk about golf. Well, luckily, you're on the par train right now, and we can talk about anything. So awesome. I want to I give you permission. I, I want to hear about it. Matt wants to hear about it. Tell us about this experience. Oh, man. Honestly, the craziest part is that's happened on multiple occasions. Wow. Um, it's not just once. Jeez. Um, uh, yeah, that's, I think that's the biggest problem. Uh, right. it's, I've, I've had interactions with the police on numerous occasions where guns were drawn. Uh, I remember one, one of my friends who uh, went to undergrad with me, she was in the car. And we were literally just friends. There was nothing like that. And I remember the guy came to the car. He had his gun drawn. He was yelling and screaming, like, you know, show me your hands and all this other stuff. And just me being normal me, I just looked at him. I was like, but why are you hollering? And I couldn't understand why he was yelling and why he was screaming. My friend, she was, you know, she was obviously shook. But at that point, I had been down that road a few times. And he was like, you know, show give me your ID and all this other stuff. I was like, Bro, my idea is under my seat. There ain't no way in hell I'm putting my hands down here. So here's what I'll do. You can, un, you know, you can just go ahead and stick your hand in there. You can open up the car door. I will kindly get out. 
I will allow you to cuff me. I won't have any problems. Not going to resist. Not going to do any of that. And then you can go down there and you can grab my wallet. But I can assure you there is no way in hell I'm putting my hand down there. And I, I, I just, because there was nothing that was done. And he was like, oh, you were speeding. I was like, there's no way I was speeding. It just, it wasn't happening. Right. Like, he flew past me. Um, hmm. I had another one where, you know, I was accused of drunk driving. And then the officer pulled me out of the car and there were people in my car and then he got around back and was like, you know, you can tell me the truth and all this other stuff. I was like, I've never had a sip of alcohol in my life. So I know Mm -hmm. I wasn't drunk and I kept, you know, badgering him a little bit. And I was like, all right, well, you know, if you feel like it, then no problem. And then I started purposely slurring my speech um, in hopes that he would literally take me to the precinct. And it was going to be interesting how I was going to be put on a DUI with someone with a no blood alcohol level. Right, um, right. So I was like, we can go with this all day long, but go for it. And, you know, but it was just, it was some weird thing. I had one officer pull me over and he was tripping about me switching lanes. I was like, yeah, but I use the indicator. Isn't that what the indicator is for? Right. Um, my issue has always been, a big part of it is the, the cars that I've driven from the time as long as I can remember. Uh, when I was in high school, I bought a... See, I graduated in 99, so I'm old. I'm sorry. But I bought, a, I bought a 97 Mercedes E320. Um, and I remember seeing... I remember, you know, when I took it to school, you know, 16 years old, everybody's like, what the hell happened? All this other stuff. And I had some things that I kind of put together and made like a shoe idea and all this other stuff and we sold it it was it was really cool but um my, one of my teachers found out that i had a car and the car i had and she got pissed and was like oh there's no way a student here has that kind of car and then saw it in the parking lot and she literally bought the car a year newer the next week no the same way. oh yeah yeah that that happened um which was funny, but I mean, that's, you know, I've seen all kinds of stuff. And I think, I think the biggest part is the golf industry. The golf industry is just strange. So strange. Uh, everyone in golf acts like it doesn't right. exist. And I mean, take a moment and really think about it. If you go to a golf course on any given day, um, there are select few courses where it's mixed as far as the population. But the average golf course, you're lucky to see 10% black people at a golf course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Maurice, um, obviously, you know, we wanted to, you've played, I mean, obviously you've got a great career with golf right now, but you played football, you know, and uh, wanted to maybe hear about some of your experiences kind of growing up playing football and now golf and just how, you know, I think we talked about a little, unfortunately, they've been different as an African-American um, compared to non-African. Yeah. I mean, in football is so different. Um, it's one of those things where it's, it's expected. Um, you know, a black guy playing football or basketball, no one cares. Um, yeah. I wonder what PK has to go through with hockey. I, I bet you that was a, that was a, yeah, that was probably a huge, 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 um, you know, but with football, it was okay. Like we had white guys on the team and no one had any issues. It was funny. Now the problem would be in Florida, when you played some of these real, real small town places get some interesting stuff that would happen Mm. um like one thing in football that still i can't wrap my brain around is Ole miss they still run out the dixie and i'm just like yeah i know i'm just like i can't really is that what we're doing 
So that that one that one still freaks me out. But football is different. You know, it's a it's it's more acceptable. Golf is just not, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of football, um, I don't know if you've ever listened to Pardon My Take, um, the podcast from Barstool, but they had Arian Foster on. Um, oh, and no. Yeah, they, they had Arian on to talk about everything that's going on. And they said something really interesting. I actually think it was one of the Barstool guys that said this. And it struck me uh, as a white person. And I just wanted to have, I wanted to tell you about it because I think it's an interesting way for people to, to think. So they said, think about the visceral reaction as a white person when you're accused of being racist, Right. If that was said to Matt or I, we would immediately feel like my entire character is questioned, right? Yeah, we'd be yeah, incredible. Yeah, right, yeah. We'd be feeling like we're attacked. We'd feel incredibly upset. And now think about that on the flip side. What it must feel like to have your character questioned every day mm-hmm. and that same visceral reaction every day, it's hard to imagine. So I'll give you the best example. Uh, yeah. And by the way, Arian Foster is like my boy. Uh, his brother and I ran track together. His brother was my no team. way. Oh, cool! Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that, yeah, that's my dude. But it's <laughs> when you look at it, the situation that happened with me on Twitter. You know, the Long Drive Sheriff and Jerry James and a host of other people, uh, Brian Pavlik, all these supposed, you know prominent names in the sport of long drive from the past. Uh, you know, they accused me of being a criminal and they got on and they tagged every sponsor that I had. And they said, Oh, Maurice has an arrest record and all this other stuff. And I went back and I posted something as, as people, if they look on my Twitter, they can see it. And I said, Hey, if you all can prove with a, you know, police record, arrest record or mugshot, you got 24 hours, man. I'll quit the sport. I'll walk away from golf and I'll, and because everything I'm doing with all these kids and stuff like that, I was like, hey, if you think I'm out here hiding something like this, no problem. If you can find it, let's go. And what ended up happening was, you know, they went through this bickering back and forth. Oh, do you want your business out in the streets and all this other stuff? I'm like, well, you already put it out there. What are we, what are we waiting on? Let's go. Let's, let's, let's run the tape. You know, let's get it going. And nothing ever came of that. And they mm-hmm. said that I had a, an assault charge. But then the next one was resisting arrest and i was like holy okay resisting arrest definitely leads to an arrest i don't care if you're white black green or purple if you're resisting you're definitely going to be arrested and then the other one was a failure to appear to a court uh, appearance which therefore leads to a bench warrant which eventually will lead to an arrest as well because there's a warrant for your arrest and none of these things they could find because I had never been arrested. I had never had any of these ha- things happen. But for them, it was so easy to make that accusation with no, I mean, there was no n- nothing. There was no hard evidence. There was no soft evidence. It was nothing more than we felt like we were going to throw something out there. And when you look at the long drive community, there are quite a few long drivers that follow this individual. Um, there's some people uh, on the, club side in golf that follow this person so they see these tweets and they saw my responses to the tweets and people hit the like button and no but ironically no one stood up and said hey that's messed up Mm -hmm. hey that's wrong or nothing and so what you end up with is that whole silence is complicit thing 
You know, if you're not willing to stand up and say, hey, if y'all have a personal problem, that's one thing. But when you start going on the Internet or you start going on social media and you're tagging people's livelihood with their sponsors and you're making false claims. You know, and there, there's no recourse at all. There's no action taken. Obviously, it's an anonymous account, but people continue to follow this account. And to me, that's cowardly. The term unconscious bias, um, everybody has unconscious bias, but how do we kind of fix it? Maybe it deciphers your unconscious, unconscious bias versus racism. Yeah, I mean, that part exists. So the unconscious bias is people are always going to flock to people who they feel comfortable with. You know, right. uh, sometimes whether we like it or not, we judge people when we see them. It doesn't matter if you For sure. you look on Instagram, you see a girl in a bikini swinging a golf club. People automatically have a thought about her. Now, who, who she actually is, maybe something completely different. Um, she could be a nice person. She could be a terrible person. No one knows. And, and honestly, it's also on a case by case basis. A lot of times what I've seen is this thing I call new age racism. People will not like, they'll, they'll use the, oh, well, I have black friends or this person's my friend and they're black. But ironically, they are the mirror image of that individual. They're identical. They're a duplicate. It's just they, they're cut from the same cloth. The only difference is the, the skin color. Now, but when people are different from them, they don't even give them the chance. They don't give them the opportunity. They don't even want to hear anything. Um, and that's what I hear a lot, a lot of times in long drive. They say, oh, well, Roger Steele hasn't experienced racism. Steve Monroe hasn't been, experienced it. And Chris Hall haven't experienced it. But at the end of the day, I can assure you that those three individuals haven't competed all over the world and all over the globe and were at every event. They were a person who was here and there, but most importantly, they weren't a standout competitor consistently. And so a lot of times, yeah, you, you do run into this jealousy of someone winning, but then when you start doing things maliciously, as in rolling into stereotypes, oh, he's been to jail, oh, he needs to be drug tested, oh, he smokes weed, or he's done this or he's done that, then you start, you start crossing that, that racist barrier. Shout out to, uh, to Roger Steele, you know, a mutual friend that we learned before uh, watching the podcast, the great guy growing up playing golf with him. <laughs> He's just, uh, yeah, Roger's awesome, man. That's my, that's my guy, man. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, Hey, Maurice. So we, we want to talk about tiger. Um, and <laughs> in a couple of different ways, we want to talk about what tigers meant to you over the years. Um, Absolutely nothing. You know, tiger, I guess, brought a lot of the dollars to the game. So obviously everybody in golf, no matter what level of it's Symmetra challenge tour in Europe or it corn Ferry, Latin America, Canada, whatever, everybody who cashes a paycheck in golf cashes it because of what tiger did to change the pay structure and the awareness in the game. So from that standpoint, yeah, that's awesome. But outside of that, absolutely nothing. Um, one of my biggest, things about you know people say well tiger experienced racism when he went to um you know the masters the first time and all these other things and if you experienced that then you would i would have expected him to stand up better i would have expected him to do better and educate and actually be an advocate for it i'm a firm believer that my children or my grandchildren or my nieces and my nephews should not have to fight the exact same fight that I have fought as a human being. 
I don't think that that's fair. I don't think there's a need to fight a fight twice. And if you fight it properly, then it shouldn't be an ongoing fight. You know, it's like if you're married or if you're in a relationship, you shouldn't fight with your girlfriend every single day about the same damn thing. There needs to be some resolution sure. to it. Right, or you yeah. just don't need to be in the relationship. Um, but you, you can't keep fighting about the same thing. There has to be growth on one side or the other. And to be honest with you, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed 157 years ago. And I'm still fighting a fight that my great, 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 great grandparents fought, which is absolutely crazy, uh, especially in the world of golf. And what happens with Tiger's silence, there we go back with the complicit again, because he hasn't acknowledged it to a point of saying, hey, I'm arguably one of the best three golfers in the world at just of all time. And I've experienced this even at my level, so something's wrong. And that is a that's a huge, huge problem for me. The the statement he put out the other day wasn't because he was he was moved or he was shocked or anything like that. It was a political statement. And it was so watered down and dry, and maybe that's because he went through steps upon steps upon steps of PR. But let's be hundred percent honest. If Tiger Woods loses every sponsor he has, if he doesn't pick up a golf club and never play again, I'm 110% certain, I think financially he's going to be okay. I, don't, I, really, I really don't think that's going to affect him bad at all. I think he's got enough money in the bank. Um, so what kind of role model, what kind of example does that lead? I mean, if you're the best, and I was taught early that being a winner is one thing, but being a champion is something different. You know. They talk about Muhammad Ali as the greatest of all time in the boxing ring. And no one ever doubts that. No one ever, there's not a person who even argues that. And that's because truly being a goat, and that seems to be a word that's thrown around so easily in today's culture. Being a goat is about what you do in your field of study or your practice. But most importantly, what do you do outside of that? for the people that are your fans or the people that support you or even just for mankind as a whole. Well, Maurice, you bring up Muhammad Ali. So what about Michael Jordan, right? Somebody who didn't really talk a lot or Worse. speak out during, well, I guess you're right, during his career, but he's spoken out more as a retired player. Worse, much worse. He doesn't speak out at all either. And, and the bad thing is, you know, especially with, the things that have happened and how many people buy up his shoes and spend all their money and, and all of these different things. I think that fear has driven many athletes, the fear of speaking out and losing their status or losing their wealth or whatever the case may be has driven many of them to say nothing. And for me, that's a huge issue because once you get to a certain level of financial security, how much more do you need? Or the better question would be, how many people can you sit back and watch suffer? And it's okay. Remember, George Floyd wasn't the first person who we've seen be brutally killed on tape. You know, Philando Castile was literally shot and killed in front of his child. And he told the police, hey, I have a light, I have a gun. I have a permit, it's legal, everything is right here, and still was shot and killed in front of his child. Um, I, I'm a firm believer if we all went to Walmart and we're walking out of Walmart and 
you hear uh, somebody rolling with their windows rolling down and they're yelling at a child in the back seat, hey, I'm going to beat the brakes off your shut up and you're getting on my nerves or whatever. And then they slam on the brakes. This person walks out, walks around the car to the back seat on the other side where the child is, yanks the child out the car and picks that child up by their legs and their arms and slams them into the ground as humanly hard as they possibly can. It wouldn't take people a week to be outraged at that. You'd be outraged immediately. You would literally lose your mind. But why does it take people a week to be outraged at this? I mean, politically correct or not, or the better question should be, why do we live in a country where outrage is only outrage when it's trending? Look at Colin Kaepernick. The crazy thing is that's, that was four years ago. It is so crazy to me that he could literally not get on a team. Do you know how many quarterbacks? Oh, trust me. Whether drafted. And they would have yeah. loved. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm in Chicago. So I'm yeah. in Chicago. Maurice, just so you know. So I yeah. feel his pain on the Bears. Right? <laughs> how many terrible quarterbacks were signed by teams? With yeah. Colin Kaepernick available, and now with, I mean, it's just, and Cam Newton's not on a team. I don't understand why Cam Newton hasn't been signed to a team. It just, it, well, it blows my mind. The difference that you run into is we leave this ability to say, well, this person is not marketable, or they don't fit our system, or whatever the case may be an excuse. Uh, to me, I hate the word intent. The word intent is nothing more than another synonym for excuse. Mm. Um, you know, you can use the Patrick Reed and the hero challenge and his intent with moving the sand. He can say one thing and the footage could show something else, but then you have to believe a person with what they say. And you're believing people who have been proven not to be trustworthy. Right. That's tough. Yeah. Um, even in my career, there are sponsorships I know I should have had, um, but I didn't get them. And you can't say there's any other reason. I remember in 2017, I was on ESPN for a week straight on every single show that they had, three separate times for a week. That's 50 million views a day over the course of seven days, over the course of 21 days. That's so many views. Um, <laughs> my agent looked at it. He, he compared me to the top 50 guys in the world, in the world golf ranking. And for two years, I literally got more media exposure, impressions, and views than, honestly, everybody but about eight guys wow. in the top 50 in the, in the PGA Tour or in the golf world rankings. And, but yet, and still people want to turn around and say, oh, well, he's just a long driver. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, but you know, you're always told that it's about impressions and views and reach and all this other stuff. And it was mainstream reach. And most importantly, it was a reach that was something so much greater than the game of golf. But now mind you, I did have some amazing sponsors that no one else could have pulled out uh one of them was slap your mama huge shout out to those guys i mean i was sponsored by a spice company who does that yeah. you know but they they saw publicity that i was getting they wanted to jump on board uh jack walker and those guys are absolutely amazing guys and they were forward thinking 
and they went and tried something and it was a beautiful relationship. But how is it that I could have a sponsorship like that, but not sponsorships that were very prevalent in the golf world? So it sounds like Maurice going back to, you know, the people that are top of their game, you know, you're included mm-hmm. in that. Um, if an athlete has a platform, it mm-hmm. sounds like you think that they have the responsibility to stand up and speak. Yeah, most definitely. I think the reason why is because if you take it back to the history, um, if you look at one of my interviews, uh, well, I don't even know if you'll be able to find that one, but when I won world championships, I made a comment. I said that I was the prayers of slaves that were raped and beaten in the fields. And the whole thing with every slave that literally walked in the United States they always prayed and they wished for something that they knew that they would never see. They, they hoped and prayed for a better tomorrow. And I take that extremely personal. Um, I've played some amazing golf courses that I know I wasn't supposed to see. I know these were places where I was not supposed to be. Um, and the people didn't treat me bad at these places, but I just know that, you know, there are some places on this earth in the, in the world of golf that, I wasn't supposed to be. And I know that it was not built and intended for somebody who looked like me. And to understand that, to understand that somebody put that work in, somebody put that blood, sweat and tears for me to have this opportunity, the least I can do is pay it forward and make sure that I give someone else an opportunity as well. I love that. So on that note, let's take a quick break to hear from a quick sponsor. Guys, not sure if you've been living under a rock, but the PGA Tour is back, okay? We saw the match, Tiger and Phil, Brady and Peyton. That was all great, right? That was a blast to watch. But this is real PGA Tour golf. And guess what? DraftKings, the official daily fantasy game of the PGA Tour, is putting you in the center of the action with a free shot at, drumroll please, $1 million top prize with your first deposit, okay? I don't know if you guys have played DraftKings before. If not, it's pretty standard uh, salary cap. You pick six golfers. Each player has a value that you pick to submit your lineup before the tournament tees off on Thursday. And then you sit back and you have a little action, added action, while you watch the golf. That, I mean, is there anything more fun than that? I mean, come on. So here's what you gotta do. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the promo code TRAIN, T-R-A-I-N, and get a free shot at $1 million as the top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code TRAIN to get a free shot at $1 bucks with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. And here comes the legalese. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25x playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Did, it, did I do a good job at the legal guy? All right, cool. Back to the interview. You were kind of talking about the tour, you know, or, or at least Tiger. And how, mm-hmm. so, uh, in your in your thoughts, in your opinion, how does the PGA Tour in professional golf, because you're a professional golfer, make progress on these issues in the sense where you would view it as like a step in the right direction? So the issue that you run into, right, is the PGA Tour and the LPGA can only work with the people who are on the tour. Um, if you're not a player on the tour, it's not like the USGA and the PGA of America. 
those are governing bodies. Um, the tour is only responsible for the tour. So it, it's completely different. If you don't have these people on the tour, yeah, they can do outreach programs and things like that at their events. But the truth of the matter is, if you don't have black faces on the tour, you're not just going to give somebody tour status. That's not how it works. And no one should expect that. That's not what I would even remotely ask for. Um, but acknowledgments are key. You know, when you look at the world of golf, no one posted about Black History Month, but they will post about Women's Golf Day or International Women's Day and Women's Month and all this other stuff. There's an acknowledgement. I looked at every OEM, I looked at every governing body in golf, and no one paid attention. Uh, the PGA of America wants to make the lame comment of saying, oh, well, we posted on the PGA Works page. Honest and truthfully, if you're not a minority, you don't even know the PGA Works page exists. The average person has no clue. Um, but then they'll turn around and say, oh, well, we're trying to engage in minorities and, and with the youth. And there's two lies there. So the first lie is you're not trying to engage with, well, you are trying to engage with minorities. That's true. Because everybody who's not a white male in the sport of golf is a minority. Um, what you're not trying to do is engage with black and brown minorities. And that is one of the biggest issues. And then the second one is, you know, you look at the USGA, they just signed a deal with Don Cheadle as an ambassador. And I can't understand that. Don Cheadle is an amazing man, great guy, no one played golf with him. Uh, but with the exception of maybe a few of the Ironmans, what young kid is going to know who Don Cheadle is? Yeah. They, there's no relation there. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. plays golf. They could have, if they want to sign somebody who's noted in the urban culture or in the black culture and the younger people pay attention to, Odell sure. Beckham Jr. would have been a great opportunity. Um, you know, the PGA of America signed Millsap. And that's cool. That's great. Um, but unfortunately, because of COVID, we can't see exactly what that was going to turn into. Um, but I know that right. they've signed countless other initiatives to help with black and brown kids playing golf, like they did the partnership with the Boys and Girls Club. And it was absolutely terrible. It had no chance of being anywhere near successful. But to them, they want to say that they tried. Well, how can you say that you try to do something that you know is not going to be successful? How does that even work? You're setting, you're setting yourself up for a failure. And I, I've seen that so many times when they're dealing with black and brown people you know they won't go to something that is very well structured and has stood the test of time and is ready for this opportunity they'll go with something that's fly by night something new that somebody has a half brain idea and thinks it's going to be wonderful and then when it fails the first thing they want to turn around and say is oh well yeah we tried no yeah. you didn't right. it's not how that works uh even if you look at the pga's diversity board that doesn't make sense. That's literally the craziest thing alive. The person over diversity for the PGA of America is Sandy Cross, which is a woman. That's cool. No problem. Well, here's the issue. Who's over the PGA of America? Susie Whaley, who's also a woman. Okay. Cool. You can't have two. And some people are going to hate that comment, but you can't have two. That ain't how it works. Because there's nobody who represents black or brown people on their board. So you have two women representing, but they're both white women. Mm -hmm. So when you look at H&M, when they had that ad where it was a black kid with coolest monkey in the jungle, 
I can guarantee you there wasn't a black person on that board who right. looked at that or who was in that decision-making process because somebody would have said stop, no, and don't. Totally. But how can, you, how can you say that you're trying to go after a group when you have no representation of that group? I'm going to go get a tech company to sponsor me, but I'm not into tech. My followers aren't tech. I'm playing golf and we're nowhere near Silicon Valley. I don't do anything in tech, but I'm going to tell a tech company they need to spend buku money for, to sponsor me. Right. Nobody who watches long drive is in tech. It doesn't make sense. Yep. And I think the conversation around you know, corporate boards and the lack of diversity has kind of been brought back into the forefront. And what you're saying is, well, it's one thing to think about it or try it. It's another thing to ex- actually execute it, right? I mean. Yeah. Maurice, I didn't know if we would get to this. I had it towards the bottom of our of our doc here, and I think it's it's important. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up. I when I, I actually was at a tech company, um, and I worked there for four years before what I do now. And I was in a diversity and inclusion training. Okay, mm-hmm. and the person leading the training showed us a picture. Just set some context for those that aren't watching this and, and on video and listening to the podcast. Um, there's two pictures that the six-year-olds were shown, like a group of black six-year-olds and a group of white six-year-olds. The picture on the left is a picture of a black boy standing behind a swing with a white boy on the ground. The right picture is featuring a white boy standing up behind the swing and a black boy on the ground. Basically, they did a study, okay? Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because there's so much unconscious bias that this study revealed at six years old. Okay, so basically the results showed that the majority of the response from the black children was positive, meaning the picture of the black boy behind the swing and the white boy on the ground, they said that the boy was helping the other boy up. Um, the boy must have fallen and, and they're friends and, and one is there to help the other. Whereas 70% of the white children thought something negative was happening where the boy that didn't look like them must have pushed the white boy off the swing. And so that goes back to what we were talking about before, which is inherently you gravitate towards people and things that you're familiar with. And mm-hmm. so it was a really interesting study and it really showed that that those biases are there at six years old. Early. Yeah. Right. And so that is where I challenge and question what these governing bodies and tours are doing because it takes so much more than just putting someone in the spotlight. I just love to hear your thoughts on it. So here's the first thing. When you look at the picture, the white parents don't have to educate the kid because nine times out of ten, the person who at least prior to now, or even if you look in the tech world, uh, the people running the companies look like them. So they're not going to be, you know, looked at based on bias. It's just not. It's just like, hey, this is man, whatever, and they keep it moving. Um, The second thing is, I think it's an inherent thing, maybe through time, black people have always taught that you have to be better. You know, you have to be better than the competition. Uh, you have to be three times better than your white counterparts and all these other different things just to get the the basics that they are getting. And, you know, that that's a big part of it as well. I think 
accountability is the is the biggest first step recognition and accountability understanding that golf has a horrible past and nobody has chosen to do that um you know you look at this week the golf channel interviewed cheyenne woods and harold varner harold put out a statement cheyenne had a story i want to say in golf.com maybe or golf week or one of those two Mm -hmm. um and then i wrote to golf channel and said hey you mind having me on morning drive to have the conversation i can assure you that that conversation is not going to happen and the reason why is because they're going to pick people who are safe they're going to pick people who don't make them feel uncomfortable and to that to all of those tours and to all of these OEMs, the thing I'd say is if you feel uncomfortable listening to me talk, if you feel uncomfortable with reading my story, then good. I hope you feel uncomfortable because at least at the end of the day, you get to close that screen. You get to swipe to another thing and then you move on about your life. At the end of the day, those are the things I've had to live. The quotes that you see in that article aren't quotes from six years ago. They aren't quotes from 10 years ago. Unfortunately, they're not even quotes from six months ago. Wow. As that story was being written, I had one that came in just that morning. So that says a lot. And, you know, I worked with uh, Joel on that. And we worked together on that and he was shocked because he said, I can't believe that you had this many quotes to come back that fast. I said, all I had to do was look at the last few months. So it's real easy. I said, I could show you messages from the last six months. It'd be double what I sent you. Or if I looked at it from the last year, it'd be quadruple that. And I could keep magnifying it. It's exponential. Um, And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good you are or the fact that I've heard people in long drive say, oh, well, you're a public figure. You should get used to that. What? Really? Wow. So rather than saying to somebody that it's messed up or that it's wrong, um, you know, it's something different. And the bigger problem, I think the easiest way I could explain it to people would be as the only black male in long drive and honestly you know everybody knows who troy mullins is but she came in and out of the sport she came in i think in 2012 maybe 2013 she left she came back in 16 they saw her in 17 um no one saw her in 16 but they saw her in 2017 a little bit saw her in 18 a little bit and they saw her in 19 a little bit I've been in the sport consistently every tournament that I can get in all over the globe since 2010. And I understood that I was going to be the only one. I was going to be the first. And there's such a different sense of responsibility when you have those titles. You understand that every move that you make is going to be under a microscope. Um, You know, think about it this way. I'm 38 years old. And if I had made some bonehead mistakes when I was 15 or if I had made some bonehead mistakes when I was 21, 22, when people started drinking and stuff, they would have found them by now. And I would have been subject to having to explain a lot of things because people have looked. They've tried their hardest to question my character, um, question my professionalism. And that's tough. Think if you guys were judged on stuff you did 10, 15, 20 years ago. 
Yeah. And people continue to bring it up as if you had no ability to evolve or you had no ability to grow, mature, and change. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I was a different person 20 years ago. And, 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 and Maurice, you, you talk about messages and I think or social media. And, and to that point about digging up dirt, or, you see that a lot, you know, social media you know, is a great tool. Maybe your thoughts on how you we're social, well, how social media can be good, but there is, it's, it's just a lot of mud out there, you know? Social media gives the coward the voice and their platform to speak. Um, there are a lot of anonymous accounts, accounts out there, but I can assure you, even, even with me, I, I looked at some of the bad accounts because I wasn't worried about who the anonymous individual was. I was more so worried about the people who were hitting the like button. And when people hit the like button, that's a cosign in my, my world. Mm -hmm. Uh, my perception. And so for me, that let me know exactly who I was dealing with, the person who I may have shook hands with and said, hey, what's up? Or I may have broken my neck to get them a club or all these other things um, that I had to realize who I was really talking to. Um, and as long as that person was on the receiving end, they probably thought it was an amazing thing. But on the humanity side, they weren't giving me the respect that I was giving them just for being on the professional and the human side. So it's a, it's a little different. Um, unfortunately, in today's world, we have this thing that is this term that's been coined as my truth. Oh, well, as long as you speak your truth, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the hell that means. Mm -hmm. uh, people, people looked at the story that was written, well, that's your truth. No, it's not my truth. There's no such thing as my truth and your truth. There is my opinion and there's also my perception. There's also your opinion in your perception but there's only one truth um truth doesn't uh, there's no ownership in truth um and unfortunately people use that as a way of deflecting what's really going on mm. instead of taking accountability of things that have taken place now with that being said i'm not perfect uh, i'll be 100 percent honest with you i've cussed a lot of people out through my years because I got tired of the disrespect. And that is the truth. And one thing about me that I've always learned is to take accountability. And people will ask me, well, did you apologize? And I say, no, because I'm not sorry. I only apologize if I'm going to, if I had to do it all over again, would I do it differently? Or most importantly, would I not do it again later on? And I was like, and I can assure you, I will do both. Um, if that person, for some reason in the golf sector, we have this thought that the entitlement within the golf sector believes that I can be disrespectful to someone and I can be rude or uncourteous to someone, but I still would demand respect in return. Yep. And that's the true nature of entitlement. And people have to understand that in life, you get what you give. Yeah. In life, you get what you give. You know, if, if you, either one of you guys were sitting at a bar or at a restaurant and I go and try and I go and haul off and knock the hell out of you all. Guess what? Whatever happens to me after that point, if you beat the hell out of me, if you shoot me or if whatever happens, I get messed up by the police and all that. You know whose fault that is? All of it boils back to me because I'm the person who began that cycle. If I had an issue with you, I should have, you know, talked to you about it. I should have just walked away or left you alone or whatever. And a lot of times when you look at racism, what is happening with people is they're being preyed upon. If you look at Ahmaud Arbery, he was, he was running. People want to say he was running away from a crime scene or, he, or you know, the jogging. Whatever your perception 
of what he was doing because no one will ever know because he's dead. But he was right. still running away. He was unarmed. You can't say he was stealing because he didn't have a truck. And if you're going into a construction site, I don't know what you're going to do, take drywall and walk down the street with it. That's, that's not the way it works. So right. at the end of the day, he was being pursued. He was prey. Somebody else was the predator. And that was a physical way of looking at it, but it happens verbally as well. And that's the real issue. How did you channel the pain? I know you've talked about it before on your Instagram. How do you channel pain and struggle to bring about good, especially in your career and just as a, as a human being? Well, I mean, it's like anything else in life. You know, anybody who's worked out, anybody who's, you know, going, you go into training camp in any sport, the first couple of weeks or the first couple of days, they really suck. They're painful. Uh, but you understand that that pain is getting you to a better place. It's getting you, quote unquote, in shape. Um, and, you know, a lot of people get on their IG and it's all about happy, happy, good, good. And I'm great. And I'm having a great day. Be positive. And uh, when you look at my social, some days is good and some days is bad. I'm 100% honest and real because sure. life, life is ups and downs. And I think it's, I look at it two ways. I really, really, really enjoy the downs um, because the downs are what make you. The downs are the time when you work. The downs are the time when you grind. Um, and it makes those ups so much sweeter every time that they happen. Um, so for me, it was just understanding when things were bad, when there was depression or anger and all of these other different things that I was, I was really being built up by God for something beyond amazing. Um, and I used to actually celebrate, you know, people always call on God when something's wrong. Um, and they're always asking God for help. And I would do the opposite. When things were bad, I'd actually thank God all the time because I knew that there was something I was supposed to learn out of it. If you can find a way to learn and rejoice in the darkness, when the light comes, everything's so much better. And so for me, it was just different. I mean, my mindset is different. The way I view things has always been different. So why would this be any different? Um, you know, you asked me earlier about golfers that had an influence on me. I got to play golf with Calvin Pete before he died. Well, he rode in the cart. He didn't play. Um, I remember I was at Sawgrass number eight, it was 210 yards. I hit a nine iron, stuffed it to three feet. <laughs> Caddy's walking off and Mr. Pete said, wow, 210, that's a pretty long six iron, young man. And <laughs> Caddy looked at Calvin. He was like, Mr. Pete, that ain't a six iron, you know? And <laughs> Calvin looked at him. He said, well, I know good and hell well it wasn't a nine. He's like, Mr. Pete, that was a nine. And I'll never forget wow. his reaction. He, he hopped in the cart. And he took off. And uh, my uncle just looked at me and was like, what the hell just happened? I was like, I don't know. He just left, man. I don't, I don't know what was going on with him. And he comes back about four holes later. We're on like 12 or 13. And he was like, man, I had to tell everybody what I saw. I've seen a lot of things in my life, but I've never seen anything like that. And I was like, thank you, Mr. Pete. I appreciate it. You know, I'm just like, man, that's that's pretty cool to get a compliment right. from it's Calvin, Calvin Pete. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll never forget what happened next, man. He looked at me, he said, young man, whatever you do, just don't quit this game. And I wasn't being disrespectful, but I kind of sloughed him off. I was like, all right, Mr. Pete, no problem. And I was getting out of the cart and he grabbed my arm and he grabbed me pretty hard too. He grabbed my arm. He said, look at me. I was like, 
Yes, sir. He was like, no, look at me. Look dead in my eyes. He said, no matter what you do, no matter what happens, promise me you won't quit this game. And he literally made me stand there and promise him that I'd never quit this game. So for me, that was probably the turning point. Because ironically, before I went and played that round with my uncle, I was thinking about quitting. I was done. I had gotten tired of everything that had happened. And, you know, like they say, man plans and God laughs. So there was something so much greater in that round of golf. And five months later, he was gone. And so I couldn't quit because he was gone. There was no way I could give up because I had promised him. And we talk about accountability, right? And the better question that really played in my brain as I was driving from Jacksonville back to Orlando is, what did this man who won 14 times on the tour, who was the most accurate person on the tour off the team, what did he see in me that I couldn't see in myself? Because greatness sees greatness. You know, other people, you know, there, there, there have been tons of people who play golf with Michael Jordan and he never sponsors them. There are tons of people who play golf with all these great athletes and they never work with them. They never take them under their wing. But for him to say that to me, and I can assure you he had seen thousands of people hit golf balls, but for him to do it with such conviction and literally make sure, and I don't know if he knew he was on his way out or whatever the case may be, but there was a serious connection with that where he saw something that I didn't see. And a lot of times when, you, when you're going through things, you know, they always talk about having someone who believes in you We you don't even believe in your damn self. And that was the best example of it I can give you. It's a really great story, um, talking about a legend in the game and then your experience in the course. Golf has a unique ability, the game itself, to, to really build connections and relationships with others. Like probably very different than most sports, right? You go out and you play, you spend hours with people, right? And you get to know them on different levels and there's just a lot of great bonds forged there. That's, that's the stuff we love about golf. One of the things we love, it's, it's great. How do we like, use the good of the game, right? To overcome or to push forward on some of these things, these challenges we're discussing today, whether it's the lack of diversity. It's yeah. easy, man. You just let the game be. The game is so pure. You know, people get mad and say it's not a white sport. Okay, well, the majority of the access is white. You know what I mean? Um, but it, this, in theory, I guess if you want to say it, sports don't have colors. Sports have um, common players, maybe. How about that? Yeah. Common ethnicities in games, maybe? I don't know. Um, but just let the game be. Understand that you all have something in common if you're both at the course. And so instead of trying to find your differences, Try to see what you have in common. Be like, oh, man, you play golf? I play golf. Oh, you play TaylorMade? I play TaylorMade. Oh, well, what do you think about these? Hey, have you been a TaylorMade guy for a while? Or, and so if, if you do that, you, I think that's the thing. And it's purest form. Golf is mental chess. It's physical chess. You're literally plotting your way around the course with someone who has built a, a, a design that you don't know, you'll never see, and they're probably dead. And their whole goal was to literally get in your kitchen and stir up your grits and your eggs for about four and a half hours, four hours to four and a half, depending on your pace of play. And that was their goal to literally mess you up. But that's hard enough. And you all can sit here and talk to, and everybody does it. You know, you, you, you play golf and you have stories when you get in the clubhouse saying about things that happen on the course and, and you'll find some similarities, but people just have to let the game flow. 
don't be quick to judge. Look at the common things more so than the things you may think you have different. We've got one or two more and then we'll get you out of here. Um, I think it's important for more people to have conversations like this. What can people in general and golfers do next, right? What, what does progress or success look like to you? You know, unfortunately, I think the answer to that is not in this podcast because I think the people who are watching this podcast are progressive people. Um, if you know someone who's not progressive, educate them. I think that's the only thing that changes it. People who reached out to me through the Golf Digest article aren't the problem. They're not the yeah. people who are going to, you know, burn crosses and all this other stuff. Those aren't the people who are doing that. Now, if there's a fear that you may have of someone, you know, like I, I have this thing where I wear a grill most of the time because I want people to see that it's nothing more than, than mouth jewelry. There's nothing different. So maybe if they see me and see, Oh, well, Maurice has one. So all right, there's no big deal. And maybe they'll be a little more open to someone else who may have one and not go ahead and throw those, you know, antennas up and be like, Oh, I don't know. And be shaky. So I think, you know, being honest, be, be vulnerable and be honest. If you have a question, ask a question. Um, if you see a person, just be open. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but just ask. And yeah. I think that's how yeah. people learn. Love that. All right, final question. How can is other it, people hit a nine iron 210? Is it, <laughs> is it core work? Do I, I mean? It, it's God-given ability. I did it again the day I was at the course, man. I, I was literally, what, 180, 187 out uh, to the pin, and I flew it over the back of the green, and I went like, 206 or something with a nine iron. I was just like, here we go again. We're back to that. So um, hopefully that trans, hopefully that transfers into my long drive stuff, man. And I can do some amazing things whenever long drive opens back up. But yeah. if not, then I'll take it to the stroke play game and see what I can do on there. And if I can get on the tour, get more people to this beautiful game and really change the dynamic of how black people are looked at this game. And that's really one yeah. of my big goals. Love it. Well, that's if you awesome. guys aren't following Maurice, it's at yep. Maurice Allen 360. And um, Maurice, I don't know if you have somewhere you want to send people. I know you help kids with scholarships. I don't know if yep. there's a link that people can help yep. out. Yeah, the Maurice Allen 360 Foundation is there. Uh, there's going to be there's a link in the bio on the Instagram page. Uh, I'm actually going to the links all over the place, man. I try to put it in my story every single day. Um, and I probably will for quite some time, but definitely Maurice Allen 360 Foundation on Instagram. Uh, we're redoing the website because we've got so much interest now. We're going to expand our programs and hopefully we'll get the funding to, to do that and just try to make a difference and, and literally set the tone so people can follow my lead and try to make a difference in their communities and help other people just become the best them that they can be. Love it. Well, that's what the par train's all about. So we appreciate you coming on and Super really appreciate the so honesty cool. yeah. and the open conversation. I hope this, um, I hope it does make people feel uncomfortable and really challenge, you know, our biases and, and think about things and have a conversation with a friend. Um, so thanks Maurice. We really appreciate yeah. it, man. Thanks. All right. Hey, thanks a lot, fellas. Um, Pleasure. And I'll see you guys soon and everybody be ready because I'm getting ready for the tour. Let's go. Oh, here we I go. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, bro. See you, man. All right, man.